and welcome to Game On Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. For the last episode of the year, we've decided to take on the topic of endings, as in permanent endings. A newer trend in gaming is the concept of permadeath, a game mechanic that makes it so that your character might actually die and not be resurrected in the game. We've all had those moments, all those respawn moments in first-person shooters or in role-playing games where you come back from having maxed out or uh, uh, taken out all your hit points. So this is a concept where that won't happen. When you die in these games, you die. For many modern gamers, this is a completely new idea. For those of us that started gaming before there were memory cards or hard drives and consoles, uh, it's actually kind of a familiar thing. In the early days, you know, if your power went out or somebody kicked the power cord out of the wall while you were gaming, you'd lose your entire progress in the game. I remember many times leaving the console on overnight so that I could pick up my game the next day, much to my parents' chagrin. Uh, An article in Wired Magazine that Rhonda found was written by Andrew Gowen. My apologies if I pronounced that wrong. And he titled it, In These Games, Death is Forever. And that's awesome. So clearly he's a proponent of, of permadeath as sort of a new challenge for gamers. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The article is speaking to a particular developer who suggests that this is something that real gaming is missing and that gaming has lost its roots, so to speak. And and I'm definitely summarizing it, which is one thing I really don't want to do. And it's one thing we really aren't going to discuss today. We're actually... Um, the the article itself has got lots of comments where people are debating the values and the benefits or detriments of games having permadeath in them. But what we want to look at today is we want to take the viewpoint of each gamer type, that's self-player, mastery player, and role player, and we will look, hit the high points out of the article about what they say are the benefits of permadeath to gaming as as an industry, as as a community, and look at it through those gamers' eyes and kind of figure out, okay, so what would the self-player think of this in these particular instances? Right, sort of apply our our structure and the way we're sort of looking and categorizing gamers to this concept. So just as a brief introduction, we talk a lot about the gamer types, but just as a brief sort of summary of them, the self-gamers are people who go into game to represent who they are as individuals that have, you know, take their offline identities and personas into the game and often see their avatars as themselves. Mastery gamers are after the achievements and the trophies for the game and mastering and being the best they possibly can be at the game and beating the game. And role players tend to create their own characters or identities and backstories that go along with who their avatars are and treat their avatars as completely separate personalities that they're acting out. Yeah, they're very much storytellers. Very much storytellers, yes, absolutely. Well, one of the first points that the article mentions is that permadeath makes games more realistic. Right. And I, well... I'm obviously, I'm a self-player. People who have been listening know that I'm very much a self-player. And I have a touch of mastery and a little touch of role-playing, probably more than I realize. But as a self-player, if I were to think, okay, permadeath makes the game more realistic, part of me says, yeah, 
I, I want a real live adventure. That's what I'm getting into the game for. Um, but the other, other side of the coin for me is, I, but I'm representing myself. I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to lose that part of myself that I've created in this game. I don't want to, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to die <laughs> myself. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's, that's definitely a play that would go on for self gamers. Um, although I, I think and, you know, I'm speculating mostly here. We'll have to throw this out to to our listeners to give us some feedback on this as well. I think for the majority of self players that losing their character, I think, would be traumatic. <laughs> well, I mean, we did a short on it earlier in the year where I lost my femship. And I mean, I, I was shocked at how devastating that was. Yes. Yeah. And I think... I think because the investment for self-gamers is so personal, I mean, you know, mastery gamers might be personally involved as well, but they're they're not identifying, so they don't have that sort of same connection, I think, to their avatars and their characters that a self-gamer might have. Yeah. Well, in the, the same sense, permadeath makes games more realistic for mastery players. These are all my speculations, and so we're, we're, we're getting Regina's feedback um, in view of her dissertation, but mastery players, I think would say, can I keep from dying? Challenge accepted. Exactly. Exactly. Let's, let's throw down the gauntlet and see if I can actually play this game and not die. And, you know, and he talks about in the article about Diablo having that mechanic as well, where you can actually go into, Mm -hmm. um, it's nightmare mode. Is it nightmare mode? No, no. I think it's it's worse than that. Yeah, Nightmare was the level difficulty, but there was some you could change yeah. the character to be um, once they actually did die, it was it was over for them, and you would lose all the gear and all the loot and all the stuff that they have on them. So then it becomes a challenge of not losing that character, and because there's so much at stake, and I think mastery players would absolutely adore that. Well, and the other side of it, I thought. It, you can tell me whether you think this applies or not. I also thought a mastery player might think on the other side of the coin, I lost all my achievements? Yeah. Frack! Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and gear or weapons or money, yeah. whatever else it is that might have had that character, that character might have been carrying. In uh, one of the MMOs that we've, we've mentioned a couple of times but have never actively played, uh, Eve Online is is everything is per- that whole entire game is permadeath. Ever everything you c- uh. you can lose your ship, you can lose your characters, you can lose your gold. Actually, it's called Isk and in, in Eve, but you can lose all of everything you have is is at risk. <laughs> yeah, and if it's stored in you know in a corporation because they don't have guilds, they have corpse. If it's stored in a corpse like uh, bank or or in a in a shared area, somebody could steal it from you. And so there are real there are real sort of risks in that game. That that entire game is sort of built on this concept of of permadeath, of real loss and betrayal and and all that kind of stuff. So so. Y- you think both viewpoints for the mastery player are applicable, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, see, this is what's going to be difficult about this conversation because I really, I really want to uh, discuss and voice my opinion about permadeath. And I think that just like in Diablo, if you choose to go into that level, right, 
That's entirely different than if your PlayStation hard drive crashes and you lose your character. That is that that is that's not that's not the same thing. Uh, <laughs> and per- permadeath as a game mechanic is different from the power going out and you losing your uh, place in um, Mario Brothers on your old, you know, old school Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, I was doing apples and oranges, wasn't I? Yeah, because when 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 it's a system failure and and it's it's the the PlayStation or the Xbox that crashed or your computer that crashed and you lost your save file or you have a corrupted file on your computer, that's something different from. Yeah. This is a mechanic in the game that is set up to to increase the risk. But still, I think that the the whole viewpoint is, do I know I'm going into a game with permadeath? And that's kind of the way I'm posing these questions. Yeah, absolutely. And and perhaps we should broaden this up. I mean, we're talking in this in this about, you know, about this game mechanic. But maybe that's something that gamers should be keeping in mind just in general. You know, sort of the the, the philosophical lesson maybe is that nothing is permanent. <laughs> no, that's true. Because you can, you know, lose your file or lose your femship or lose your progress in a game. And it does have, you know, repercussions for you. So maybe that is something that, that we need to sort of keep in mind. Well, from a role player's viewpoint... Permadeath makes the games more realistic. Mm-hmm. On the positive side, they could say, yeah, yeah, I want a tragic character. Right. And on the opposite side, it's like, um, no, this character wasn't written to be killed. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think it could very well play into the idea of the character's arc or the true character's story being one of you know, just like your life would be, you know, we're all living and eventually we're all not going to be living. So if you are going to write a realistic character, then perhaps permadeath could be incorporated into that story that you tell about that character. Okay. And the next point in the article that I pulled out is that permadeath should evoke dread and loss. Right. Right. You should feel it and you should have a sense of of loss that comes from this kind of game mechanic. And I guess as a self-player on the positive side, I, I I don't know that I would particularly care for it. I'm thinking back to the instance where when I was playing Mass Effect 2 and one of the NPCs died. And I was so upset because I didn't want her to die. Right, right. And so I just I just don't think that I would be ha- I don't I don't particularly want to have the feelings of dread and loss of my personal character dying. Well, I think this calls into question another another idea about gaming and game culture in general. So permadeath or the idea of permadeath as a game mechanic is to create a more realistic game experience. Well, who wants reality in their games? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Reason- See, that was a common comment. It's like, that's not why I play games. Yeah, exactly. If, if the reason you're playing is to escape, you should be able to be in a world where you can resurrect and you can pay your gold to repair your gear or wh- whatever it is that's going to cost you in order to... Because, you know, almost every 
death in at least most modern games comes with a consequence. You're either where your um, your weapons and your um, your armor down and you have to pay to repair it. That was actually one of the mechanics that I absolutely adored about Dungeons and Dragons online was you could actually permanently damage your weapon. Mm. So if you were fighting with a certain metal type against like the slimes that were in the sewers, it could corrode it and you could go back and repair it unless you had gone and before you started to fight them, you could protect against certain, you know, you could put certain enchantments on to protect your gear against the different things that you were fighting, which I thought added a level of depth and complexity to the game that I thought was really awesome. You know, here you have this gorgeous sword that you're fighting with but oh be careful if you go to fight the slime because it's actually going to damage it and ruin it and then you'll have a you know a bar on your item that becomes red and and Mm. so was actual sort of real loss that you could take rather than oh i just go play my gold and get it fixed later yeah well and i guess in the same hand as far as the self-player is like if i'm i'm playing the hero I want a happy ending. I want to succeed, and in the end, I want to win. Right, right. I, I want to get to that end goal of the game and and be successful at doing it. Now, for as far as a mastery player is concerned, I don't I don't think a mastery player cares one whit about feelings <laughs> in a game. Um, I. For, from the the handful that I've talked to, and we'll have to have people listening, you know, chime in on this because I was actually kind of prodding a few people whose you know player types I knew before we did this episode. I, I think that that's that is generally a fair assessment. They're they're more concerned with just mastering the game, so they're not concerned about the character that they're creating, and they're not telling a story, and they're not playing themselves. But they still, I think feel a sense of of loss maybe um or they do dread i mean if we're talking about before when we're saying you know makes games more realistic and the mastery players might say damn i lost all my achievements yeah that i think would be the that would be where the feeling would come for a mastery player yeah Uh, yeah yeah it would be more of an internal feeling of um anger toward the game Well, a role player, as far as, you know, permadeath, it should evoke dread and loss. Um, I think on the positive side, they would say, if I have a tragic character, then it adds depth to my story. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And on the negative side... Again, you know, the role player loses control of their characters. It takes that. And and that might be that. That's interesting, actually. I think that might be key for all of the gamer types and and their reaction Mm. to permadeath. Because if if it's not a choice you're making, like the the character that the role player is writing. Right. Die there. Then that impacts their entire their like you said their control over the character and their control over the story, and maybe that's one of the reasons why permadeath feels so sort of strange to us. One of the reasons why perhaps some of us like to play games in general is we can control that environment in a way that we can't control our offline lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's part of the appeal to me, and I mean I think I'm speaking more generally, not just from uh, self players' viewpoint, but. I I mean, I game because I do have s- uh, control over the game, 
while at the same time I'm being challenged. I mean, I don't win every battle. I lose weapons. I die and have to respawn. I take consequences. But I know that I can always get better and go back in and continue to level and win. I, I've got to have that little bit of reward. Right, right. It has to be the the sort of carrot that keeps you going back to the game. Yeah, and that, that kind of moves, all of this moves really into the next point of the article saying permadeath should have consequences in games. Um, in fact, that was one of their stronger points is, is that the games have lost a lot right. by the threat of permadeath not being there. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, I think there is kind of something to that because you feel a different kind of rush when you play a game knowing you might actually lose something. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the stress and the adrenaline and intensity is so much higher. Absolutely. And as a self-player, I would say, well, you know, that's okay, but just make it hurt a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Which basically means, no, I don't want to die, but, you know, dock me a point or something, <laughs> you know. hurt too hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, because in reality, I would say, no, that doesn't make me feel like a hero. It doesn't, it makes me feel like a failure. Right. So how would you feel then if you were to play a game like Eve? I know, I know you're not particularly fond of, of MMOs in any way, shape, or form. But if you were to go into a game like Eve that had, I mean, that's just part of the structure of the game. How would you feel about playing that game? Would you be nervous all the time? Yeah. <laughs> would it take... Yeah, any time that I, I control is out of my hands to a certain degree and my choices are, are that much more critical... I'm more nervous. Right. Um, I was playing a game through PlayStation, and I never can remember the name of it, I think because it, it's just a name that doesn't fit, but it is an arcade-based type game. And you go in and you play levels, and you just keep going up, but as soon as you run out of lives, that's it. It's over. Mm -hmm. Nothing saves. Right. And I was very addicted to that game, but after a while, I got tired of, I would reach a level higher than I'd ever been, mm -hmm. and then die. Right. It's like, start over? <laughs> you know, why can't I, I just save to a previous level and start from here? Because I think I know what my mistake was. Right, right. And eventually, I, I just get tired of it. Right. And it just, it loses the, the appeal that it might have had at one point. Well, I thought maybe that the mastery player might say, permadeath should have consequences. They say, if my achievements are multiplied, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it Or otherwise, you're wasting my time. <laughs> you just kick me off the leaderboard. I, I don't want anything to do with it. Right, exactly. The um, the and I think that both of those would probably work as well. I I don't know. Maybe maybe not so much the if my achievements are multiplied to bring it because, I mean, although they are out after the achievements, it might not hold the same appeal. The achievement might not hold the same appeal if it's only doubled because they're playing in a riskier situation. Okay. I don't know for sure. I, d I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering about that. If if that would, if the permadeath situation was the top level, the top hierarchy of the game, uh, like the interesting level to play puts you at this level of risk, then yeah. they would be all about it. Yeah, I think the the mastery player is the one to me that's the most curious on, on this topic, and I'd love to hear from some mastery players. Yeah, me too. 
Me too. Um, well, I speculated about the role player of whether permadeath in game should have consequences that they would say, yeah, you know, finally that allows me to write a tragic character that I know I can put into situations where they'll make bad decisions and die. Right. Right. You know, that uh, I'm not sure how many situations that they, a role player can be in where they actually can have a martyr or, uh, you know, someone who's just, uh, sacrifices themselves for the cause. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, on fighting. <laughs> but most of the time, I've, I've always gotten the impression, and, and maybe it's just a limited pool that we've, we've talked to, but I've always gotten the impression that role players tend to be very attached to their characters, and they're, they're w- characters that they want to keep around for a long time. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I would agree with that assessment as well. I, I think that the, you know, the number of people that I've talked to, there was a certain trend in the role players that I talked to in the study of feeling protective of their characters. Okay. Which I would now that I've, you know, I've sort of sat with this and sort of crunched on these ideas a little bit more. I think there's a certain amount of self player that goes into role playing as well, where they feel a certain attachment to the characters that they create, much like a self player would feel attachment to themselves as as the avatar. Okay. So that risk becomes um, uh, more personal. They're, you know, they're they're not just, you know losing a character they're they're losing a little bit of themselves in it as well so i I, yeah it's a creation i mean that's and that's very personal yeah absolutely and i would i would love to i've never actually done this but i'd love to talk to an author about what it's like to like kill off their characters in a story like what's it like when like what is it what was it like for joss when he killed um you know um Oh, Tara off in, in Buffy, you know? Well, I was about to say, just pick a character. There's several to choose from. <laughs> There's so many who could die, <laughs> who die in Jaws stories, you know? And, and I remember a friend of mine saying um, she was dreading seeing the Avengers, the Avengers because she knew it was a Jaws story, so somebody was going to die. There was just no way that... <laughs> yeah, I could write it and not have somebody die in it. Yeah, and I was a long time... Joss Whedon fan. I went to that movie so naive, and I wasn't even thinking about it. Oh, uh, caught me, caught me off guard. No, I but walked into that movie theater going, "All right, somebody's going down. Who's it going to be?" <laughs> I remember a story coming out during, um, right in the middle of the Harry Potter series, and J.K. Rowling was getting ready to kill off a major character, mm-hmm. and I remember her uh, reading an article that said that she just kind of walked into the room and sat down and just said, well, I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, it was a task. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I would imagine the attachment would be, especially in something like Harry Potter, where it's, you know, years of writing about the same characters and you're, you know, years of time devoted to writing about them and creating the characters and creating the mm-hmm. stories. So... I would imagine that would be even more sort of um, it would heighten that that attachment as well. So, well, the next to last point that I pulled from the article, permadeath makes the game real or more authentic. Mm -hmm. And this was another major push in the in the article is that, you know, gamers don't deal with reality the way they should. (laughs) But permadeath in a game, then it is that much more authentic. Mm-hmm. And from a self-player's viewpoint, I mean, I felt like I was really stretching it to say, yeah, 
you know, that's okay. I want the adventure to be as real as possible. Right. But in reality, a self-player doesn't. Right. <laughs> I just don't think so. I want to control the ending of my story. And, and, and... A, a lot of times for self-players, the concept of, like you said, adventure or exploration are key to why they're playing. And, mm-hmm. and they get to do in-game things that they're unable to do in their physical lives. So they're acting those out. And be, because of that, I think they, they don't want it to have that authentic sense of, oh, there is true loss that could that could happen in this game. Unless it's like I described in DDO, where the loss is on your weapons or, you know, that kind of idea where you could have permanent damage, but it's not... It doesn't destroy the character or the story or the adventure that they're yeah. wandering. Well, with. I keep looking back at the the feelings that I had that came up during Mass Effect 2 when one of the NPCs died. And, you know, that is memorable. Right. But it wasn't me. Right. Yeah, there was, um, there was a female gamer actually who plays Eve. Um, and her screen name and her Twitter handle, I think, are Mint Chip LOL. And she did a piece, a video blog, where she was talking about the first time she died in Eve. And her her sort of summation of it was, it was noteworthy. Like, dying mm-hmm. in other games where you resurrect immediately didn't have the same sort of noteworthy sense to it. It's just like, oh, I just died and you come back again. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes in some games you get an achievement if you die in certain situations or whatnot, whatever. Right. But this was noteworthy because it was actual, there was an actual loss and there was that sense of authentic loss or real, you know, life stress or whatever that sort of comes with that, that actually dying and losing your ship and losing your money and potentially losing your pilot or whatever else you might lose. So... She said it was noteworthy, and I always thought that was kind of interesting to consider. You know, I can, I, I've died tons of times, and it's never really a noteworthy experience for me in any shape, mm. unless it's, you know, now when I die in Borderlands and I have lots of cash and it's really expensive, I get kind of yeah. with myself with how much money I just lost. But other than that, I don't go, geez, you know, oh, wow, I just set this back, or oh, I'm never going to go back to this again. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know. And, you know, I kind of bounce in all three of the categories these days. So, yeah, it, it depends on what game I'm playing, because like, I mean, I've been playing Civ five and I feel like I'm very much a mastery player in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that game, I think strategy games like that bring out that kind of mastery player. I think that that's why I have this moderate obsession I have with um, Orcs Must Die 2 right now is that I'm just on like a super like mastery kick. Like my friend has gotten to wave 124 on this oh gee you don't get achievements past 50 and there are people online who get you know have showed videos where they get to level 200 and wave 200 and all these things and i'm like whoa and you know here i am i just barely made 50 you know a week ago for the first time so i just keep thinking oh i need to figure out how to perfect this and what works and what doesn't and what do we do here and what do we do there so i think it has sort of lit up my mastery well the tiny heroes did that for me (laughs) because you get one two or three stars depending on how well you succeeded at the level and i can't stand leaving that thing without three stars (laughs) oh don't even get me started on the social gaming and mastery i mean you already know i've talked multiple times about my bejeweled blitz addiction and having to be on the top of my leaderboard and there are might be listening who you know you could just back off a little bit sometimes huh huh (laughs) ace some people are starting to make me work for it. 
someone who shall remain nameless who got 800,000 points last week. <laughs> hit list, hit list. Oh, boss from IBM. What? He's a vice president at IBM. Got 800,000 points. Come on now. Yeah. He's got to be busier than that. That's what I keep saying. He's the, we actually chatted about it. And he's like, yeah, I have a hard time keeping up. I'm like, well, you don't have to keep up. It's okay. <laughs> well, since we're kind of thinking in the mastery mode, what does the mastery player think of making the game more real? I don't think that mastery players care about it being a real experience. Um, okay. Asked a mastery player about XCOM, which is one of the games that um, our author talked about in, in the article. Um, and all he said was, well, I, if, you know, because you pick certain uh, characters for certain missions. And I said, well, what happens if you go out and what do, what do you do if you go out and you lose somebody on a mission? He's like, oh, I go back to my save point and I do the mission again. Yeah, see, that's kind of what I thought, because when I was trying to think of the mastery player in view of having an authentic experience in the game, I just couldn't come up with any any feelings or opinions from that viewpoint at all. Yeah, they're not that that's not, I don't think, a concern for mastery players going in and, and having this be real. I mean, I think that only really applies to self players and role players because for them story is important. But for mastery players, the story is not necessarily, you know, part of the experience oh, yeah. they want to share. They're not in it to, you know, see how the story evolves necessarily, although there's a very uh, interesting and intriguing story in the latest XCOM, Enemy Unknown. I mean, there's there's a really interesting and really intriguing plot that unfolds in that game. And, you know, Chris was telling me, it's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. And then this kind of happens. And he named his characters after all of our gaming friends. And um, not to brag, but I was one of his lead um, characters. So that oh. and then um, and then I got I got I had like the highest ranking. And then um, I won't I won't say anything more about what ended up happening to my poor character in that but the fact that I said my poor character might give you (laughs) (laughs) there's so many things depending on how demented your mind is (laughs) what could have happened to your poor character and I asked him all he said was you know I just go back and reload it I just you know it, it didn't have any kind of like oh I just lost this or anything but he also plays Eve and has had many you know he's usually when he's going to put his ships in at risk he will make sure that he doesn't have any cash on board and that he doesn't have any you know stuff that he might lose that's of you know value um so so there is a sense of protection but like you had noted it's not a protection of the character or an idea it's a protection of the achievements and the whatever has been gathered and and you know owned in in that importance so yeah i think the key word you mentioned there that kind of made all this makes sense with story because from the role players viewpoint, they would love to have the story to be as immersive as possible. But at the same time, they want to be the creator. Right. Exactly. They, they want to be the, the, the omnipotent God figure who's controlling their characters lives, not having the game control it. Well, one of the more interesting points actually came later in the article And it was permadeath causes players to use emotional reasoning in problem solving, Mm -hmm. which I thought was that is the first thing that they said in the article that really gave me pause. Right. Yeah. It's it's not the way most people think about the problem solving aspects of gaming. Yeah. I mean, if I know, I mean, 
Borderlands is a good example simply because it, it happened recently. But anytime you start a new game, you run into this. There's a situation where is this cliff too high to jump off of? Right. Will I die? And do you want to risk it or are you going to lose everything or you get stuck in, you know, graphics hell where you get stuck between two rocks and can't get out. You're standing in the fire and you're burning to death. Yes, yeah, standing in fire, burning to death. Or it's like, well, I don't know how this works, so I'm going to uh, plant my guys right here on the grid. And then the very next time it turns around, they all get killed and all your points are docked and you lose all your experience and your credit. And you're like, oh, okay, wow, that didn't work. Um, <laughs> but if you... If you had to put emotional reasoning into something and you, you have to take that pause to think, okay, what, what am I going to do if I die? Right, right. What, what, it really changes everything. Yeah, exactly. It, it sort of adds a level of complexity that isn't there without, without that risk when, when you know you're just going to respawn and you're going to take your gold hit or whatever else it is you're going to take a hit on. It doesn't have the same emotional resonance that it might otherwise have as you're making those decisions. Yeah. As a self player, I can see, I can see in my head, I, I can see myself saying, that's not what I meant to do. Undo, undo. No, no. <laughs> go back, go back. It's <laughs> like, no, that's not fair. And you, of course you blame the controller or the keyboard or anything you could possibly think of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, there's lots of there's lots of different things, lots of different scapegoats you can come out with for that. But I think that a mastery player, just in the same way that I mean, I, I'm I'm guessing that the emotional reasoning is tied very closely to story, mm-hmm. and at the same time that it, it, mastery wouldn't care that much about it. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, very much so. I think that same sort of. Because they're not they're not engaging the game emotionally in any real way. That's not really what what the gaming is about for them. Then you know engaging emotional reasoning might not necessarily be part of that. But even as I'm saying that, I'm I'm reconsidering it in my head in terms of what I know about the XCOM story and the way it evolves at the end and the decisions that you have to make as a player at the end. Yeah. Um, you do have to use at least some level of emotional reasoning to complete the game. So yeah, it, we're, it's obvious we're going to have to interview some XCOM players and some mastery players and, and get some more data. Yeah, yeah. To kind of to kind of bring this up, we might actually in the new year sort of include this as like a, you know topic that we use in our interviews. You know, to come back to to kind of dig out more about the the player types. Yeah, that would be a great question to add on to. Uh... Yeah, to, to our, our list questions. Well, this also seems like an extremely complex um, idea for a role player mm-hmm. as to whether or not they want to have to use emotional reasoning, right. um, because you you listen to a role player describe their characters. They talk about their background and their culture, and all of that is is very social and emotionally driven. Absolutely. And I I don't think that they'd have any problem whatsoever applying the emotional reasoning, because I think that that's part of what drives role players in the first place. But they still lose control, though. They do still lose control. Unless they purposely put a character in a position to die. Right, which they might do. They might say, this, this character is expendable because I don't have that much invested in them. So, okay, they can be the person who goes into the permadeath game. Well, the only, the only thing that really, 
I really pulled from the article because obviously I'm, and I don't know whether I, can, I have to say I'm biased because I'm a self-player, but I, I don't like the whole permadeath <laughs> idea. But if I know what I'm getting into ahead of time, what the game is, I, I just like knowing what the parameters are, what I'm dealing with. If I do, then I know how to guide my strategy. But the idea that emotional reasoning is a part of making some of those decisions and that that might be missing from some of the games like Borderlands when I play that or anything else where I can, I just respond. Mm -hmm. I know there's, there's something that's not going on there, but at the same time, that's what makes it fun. Right. Right. I'm going to jump off the top of this 20 story building and it is a hoot to do. (laughs) Well, especially since in Borderlands, there's no falling damage. So you, you had joy of just running and jumping and doing all these crazy things that you would never do in your, in your physical life. (laughs) Or you might never do with other characters in other games as well. Well, how many people who who watch the matrix, the very first time Neo tried to jump from one skyscraper to the other and said, Oh my God, I want to do that. I could have done that. (laughs) That could be me. (laughs) Well, I mean, that just ties back to the idea that you know, we're always putting ourselves in the place of the characters. You know, there are a couple of articles over the summer and uh, and out of the E3 that were talking about how, you know, people want to take care of their characters and they don't identify with them. And that's just hooey. Oh, yeah. Because that's what we all do. We all identify with the hero one way or the other, whether or not they're going to really die or not. That's that's always a risk that that, you know, that, it's not always a risk. That's always a process that that consumers are going. Well, through. I wonder if that scene in The Matrix where Neo for the first time has actually he's gone into The Matrix knowingly. That he isn't in a computer, mm-hmm. he is in a computer program, and that with his mind, he basically can jump from one skyscraper to the other. That you are attached to your emotional reasoning. Mm-hmm. I mean, wasn't that the thing he was having to overcome to make that work? Yeah, yeah. The the recognition of um, the the matrix itself, yeah. and having to uh, having to adjust how he had always sort of perceived the world to take that in as an option and, and as a choice. So. Well, I think this is just a, a really cool topic, at least just to explore from the gamer type aspect. I think maybe we could gather some new data to add yeah. more facets to those gamer types. So I really look forward actually to, to introducing it regularly and talking to our guests and gamers next year about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's one of those concepts where it sort of pushes everybody's understanding of gaming and why we game. And I think sort of attaching that to our gamer types will, like you said, just give them more levels of complexity and depth, which is really what we're doing this for. Well, before we close today, uh, I just want to tell all of our listeners, um, our followers on Twitter and Facebook and, and various other places, um, it, it's been a fantastic year. And we just, we love you guys and we're having so much fun. And it's even more fun when you tell us that you are enjoying what we're doing um, because we are and we're passionate about yeah. it and we have a good time. Uh, we love to hear yes. from you, which is, I hope, obvious, and we love to talk to you. 
So if you could send us your feedback on any of our episodes and the way things have gone this year, if you got things we would you would like us to talk about instead, or you want to talk about uh, permadeath that we discussed today, we always would love to hear from you. Tell us what you'd like to talk about next year or like to hear or see. And I want to echo um, Rhonda's comments here. We really do love your feedback. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. It's been a fantastic, just a fantastic year. And, and we're really enjoying what we're doing. And we're so thankful that you guys are listening and enjoying it as well. Because it's a, it's a very fulfilling experience. So please let us know if there are topics you like us to, to cover. If there are um, people that you want inter- to see interviewed. Anything like that. Please, uh, please give us some feedback. Um, just don't aim too high on the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'd love to hear it so uh, let us know what you're thinking and uh, and we'll see what we can do for for the upcoming year and another you know weekly series of of podcasts i'm Rhonda oglesby i'm the co-host of game on girl you can follow me on twitter at rho r-h-o-o-m that's row room or you can read my tech blog at drillonthefrog.com or email me, Rhonda, at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. So if you haven't checked it out, Game On Girl is available on iTunes uh, and Stitcher Streaming. It's also available via RSS feed on the website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at desert tree media and we'd like to thank him for his contributions to the show as well you can find links to um, the rss feeds and twitter and facebook and everywhere else you can talk to us and you can leave comments on the website at gameongirl.com so thanks for listening and until next time game on game on